You're listening to the Novel Universe Podcast, a monthly YA Live podcast hosted by Dawn Abron and Elise Martinez, YA librarians from the Chicago land area. Each episode features reviews and rants on new and upcoming YA books. We're here to help you navigate your TBR pile. What's good, what's bad, and everything in between. I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. And I'm Elise, the rejecter of romance. So turn up the volume. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Read Along with the Universe, Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. In this podcast, we will be discussing chapters 27 through the end of the book. All right, let's just jump right on in. So in chapter 27 is the aftermath of the Blake attack and everyone is in the hospital. So one of the things I noted about this chapter is on the very first page, Alex is talking about how Turner is telling the police and the ambulance that they have a student, a Yale student. And she says that Yale falling over her shroud and shield, take courage, no one is immortal, such power in a few words. In a few words meaning she's a student. So she's basically saying that because she goes to Yale, Yale is her shroud and her shield and it gives her power because she's a student. If she had been Alex from California, she would not have been worth as much as she is as Alex, the Yale student. And that's a prominent theme in this book that I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Another thing I noticed, well, before I talk about that, so I was wrong in the previous podcast. I said that Blake killed Tara. He did kill Tara. Sandow actually killed Tara. So I was wrong. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. I must have missed it. I don't know how I missed it, but okay. So another thing of note in this scene is that I like it when Alex gets into the bed with Dawes because it was reminiscent of when her and Helly would sleep in the bed together. And then, of course, the scene where Helly actually died. But I like how now Alex is comfortable with getting just sharing a bed with another person, another woman that's not Helly. And it just shows some growth and that she's starting to kind of deal with her trauma and get over it. And it also shows that Dawes is becoming her friend. And one other unimportant detail, but I liked, is that Bardugo, several times in the book, she says that Alex calls for a ride on her phone. So we know she's using a, a, a driver service like Uber or Lyft, but she doesn't use the words Uber or Lyft because that would date her book. So I like that Bardugo purposely left those words out because anybody could pick this book up 50 years from now if the world is still here and see and they won't be like, what's an Uber? And then they look up some Wikipedia definition of what Uber used to be. Not that significant. I just thought that was an interesting part of writing in this book. All right. Chapter 28. Alex's mom comes to visit. Well, she doesn't come to visit. Like, Mercy called her mom and was like, look, Alex is, Alex is in trouble. And we're back at the prologue. So we're back at the beginning of the book. And now we know what she was doing at the Il Montague and how she got hurt and why her mindset is where it is. And this book just shows that Alex does have support now. She does have her mother. She does have Mercy. And that she's not alone. One thing that I noted, a couple things that I noted was that Alex talks about how her mom believes in fairies and angels and crystal visions. And she's like thinking, should I tell her 
that magic really does exist? Would she be okay with the with the reality that it's ugly? And what I liked about this is earlier in the book, Darlington kind of has the same thought process of this, where he's like watching Alex see magic for the first time. And he's like, wow, this is wondrous. She's getting to see magic for real. And isn't it amazing? It's a wonderful thing. Whereas now Alex is in the Darlington position and she doesn't think magical or magic is magical. She thinks it's ugly. So we see magic in the eyes of two different people. The other thing I took note of in this book is Alex asks her mom about her father. She doesn't know who her father is. And her mom says, have you ever heard of arsenic eaters? They would ingest a little bit of arsenic every day. It made their skin clear and their eyes bright and they felt wonderful. All the while, they are just drinking poison. So that could be a metaphor for a lot of things. I'm going to choose to make it a metaphor for power. Like in the beginning, power is great. It makes you happy. It makes you feel good about yourself. But you're, but if you allow it to, it will slowly corrode your body. All right, let's move on to chapter 29. And... In this, uh, in this chapter, we find out about the bridegroom's death. So the bridegroom, I'm just going to start calling him North because it's one syllable instead of two. North enters Alex's body without permission and she gets really upset and he writes down some dates. But Alex decides to do research instead of like lash out. She does research to like solve this so he can get the hell away from her for good. And in the previous pod, we found out that Darlington was also researching and he discovered something and wrote the word the first. I thought maybe North was the first prognostication, but it turns out that Daisy was the first victim. Well, the first person to create a nexus. And I went into the previous pod about what a nexus is. Basically, it is the source of power for the secret societies. And it turns out that dead girls create a nexus. Um, okay, so this is a very big revelation in the book. And this is set up from the very beginning. But if you weren't paying attention, which I wasn't, you missed it. So I think it's chapter three where we find out that Gladys died on... Um, what street does she die on? High Street, Chapel and High Street, something like that. And if you look on the map, which I didn't have because I was reading an e-arc, then you would see that Skull and Bones is on that street. So, I mean, she does drop clues for you, maybe only one or two, but I didn't pay attention to that. And I normally do. I'm kind of mad at myself because I normally do pay attention to stuff like that. Sorry, I just got an instant message. Bardugo continued to repeat streets where Tara died, where Gladys died, where Daisy died. And I didn't pay attention to that. And I kind of wish I had of, because then I would have been able to figure it out, but whatever. Um, like I said, this was a big revelation. And I know what Bardugo's trying to say. She's basically saying that so Daisy was the first person to create a nexus. She was the first death. But Daisy was society, and people noticed. And so then Bell Bomb was... Well, we'll get into Bell Bomb later, but... Um, 
basically they're saying that girls who were immigrants or poor or were brown or black or who were quote unquote unloved, which that doesn't mean that they were, then it was better to kill them because they're worthless. And that is a theme in this book, girls and their worth and how girls and women are treated in this country. And, you know, it's a strong theme. And one could argue also that these girls are not worthless. They're actually magical and they created magic with their deaths. I thought that that revelation was fine. I, I, when I read that part, my reaction was, okay, you know, it, I didn't like clutch my pearls or anything. It was, it was fine. It was fine. I, I understand why she did it. I think it was well done, but yeah, I was, I think I was just expecting a bigger climax, but you know, we got what we got. Okay. So let's go to chapter 30. And in this chapter, Alex is about to go in for the final showdown. She's got her armor on. She's entering this party. And when she gets in there, she starts to feel really small. And she goes into the bathroom and she's looking in the mirror and she's thinking to herself, what is the point of all of this? Like people do these atrocities to other people and they go unpunished. So why do I care so much? But then she looks down at her tattoos where they used to be and she starts to uncover them. And as I predicted earlier in the pod, she is going to bring her tattoos back because it was kind of erasing who she was and she didn't want to do that anymore. And as she is bringing her tattoos back, we've learned a little bit about them and where they came from. And I was actually thinking, why does she have all these tattoos? She didn't seem like the type of person who would have like tattoos all over her body. And come to find out, she would pull tarot cards from Heli and that was a tattoo she would get. And so she's listing all these tattoos and one of them was a wheel and she didn't know, we don't know, she didn't know why she got that wheel, but she did. And of course I looked up wheel and what the wheel means and wheel means change, luck, destiny, which basically embodies everything Alex is. She changed who she was by coming to Yale She's been incredibly lucky because she's still alive and she is destined for great things. So I kind of like that little symbol that's on her body. In this chapter, we learn that Sandow killed Tara. So I was wrong about who killed Tara, but I was wrong. I was right that Sandow was an awful person. I was correct in my previous pod when I said that all those other houses needed tombs and that they were paying Sandow to get those tombs. So I was right about that. I was just wrong about the house. I still think that Arulian did something to, to Darlington's house. I don't think, well, it's not going to be in this book, but I think it's going to come back in the next book. So I'm, I'm hanging on to that prediction. Um, so we get another This Town reference from Sandow, and he has told us that it is a magical place. I was also right that Sandow tried to kill Darlington and Alex uh, because Darlington knew too much. Another thing of note in this chapter is that Sandow describes himself as once being a knight of Leith. And what I found interesting about that is that Darlington considers himself to be 
a knight of Leith. At the manuscript party, he sees himself as a knight in the mirror with his sword. And back in his day, Sandal was the Darlington of his day. And I think that there may have been a little bit of jealousy in Sandow when he saw Darlington because he's not that anymore. Darlington is a, he's a gentleman of Leith. He's adored by ladies and other people. People like Darlington and he doesn't have that anymore, Sandow. And so I think he may have been a little bit jealous. So that kind of helped when he needed to off Darlington. But also what I liked about this is that these two characters are close. They kind of are the same person. But Darlington has a choice now. He could go down the same path as Sandow. Sandow at one point when he was a student at Yale and part of Leith, he was a knight, he was a gentleman, but he made bad choices. And so now he's will do anything for money. And we're hoping that Darlington doesn't make those same mistakes. So I like that little comparison about being the Knight of Leith. We also learned that Tara's death did not create a nexus. And I'll go into that a little bit later. Um, I like this quote Sandow says. So Alex goes on and on and on about how you can't just go around killing people because you want to live in a fancy house and drive a fancy car. And, um, let me find the quote, but Sandow says, we are beggars at the table. They throw us scraps, but the real magic, the magic that makes futures and saves lives belongs to them unless we take a bit of it for ourselves. So in this quote, I feel like Sandow considers himself to be lesser than the people that are members of these societies. He does not feel like an equal. So he has to take whatever he can get to feel like an equal, even though he never will be one. So I feel like that is a really interesting insight into who Sandow is. And then um, Bellbaum comes in and she sees North inside Alex. All right, so chapter 31 the big one, we find out that Bellbomb can see Grays and she calls herself a wheel walker. And I'm guessing that wheel is what they are because the wheel represents the cycle of life. I don't know. I could be wrong, but that's what I got out of it. We also found out that Daisy could see Grays. And we learned that she, that a Gray entered her body uninvited. She got scared. She pushed it out. And then it went into North. And grabbed the gun and killed her. And he killed himself. Um, Bellbaum also talks about how she originally used Greys by borrowing their strength and their knowledge. Which is a foreshadow. But it overtook her and she was killed. So there's some parallels to her and Alex as well. So when Daisy was overtaken by a Grey, she panicked and then it caused her death. But when Alex was overtaken by North, instead of panicking and losing control, she used it to help him. And that's the difference between Bellbaum and Alex. Alex did not let the gray cause her death. She did something about it. Um, 
Okay, Bellbaum. We learn a little bit more about Bellbaum um, when she's talking about Daisy and how she took her body. But we learned some stuff back in the chapter where we find where we see what happens to North. And in the chapter, um, so I guess I didn't say Daisy. Bellbaum took Daisy's body. She ate Gladys's soul, who was the maid, and she took Daisy's body. And so she's Daisy. She's been Daisy this whole time. And back in the back in North's chapter, we find out what happens to them. There's a scene between him and Daisy. It's really short, but there's a scene between them. And North wants to honeymoon in Maine. And she's like, no, I want to go to Paris. And she says, I want to see the world before I have to have your children and cater your parties and your friends. Which I think is really tragic because... She knows what her life is going to be, but she wants to do things before that happens to her. And her life was taken before she could actually do it. So she's a bit of a tragic character, which makes her sympathetic. Um, let's see. All right. So as I was saying before, there were clues as to the Daisy's death and the houses and I missed it, but it didn't come out of nowhere. Um, Bellbomb, we learned that Bellbomb has a lot more power than just seeing grays. The star power that Sandel tried to put out on her didn't work. And because she's dead, the death poems don't work on her either. And she, she just seems to have a lot more power, which can conclude that because Alex is also a wheelwalker that maybe Alex has more power than she realizes that could possibly come up in the next books. We also get another this town reference from Bellbaum. Um, because New Haven is considerably more magical than other cities, the magic is contained in that town and Bellbaum cannot leave the town because she will start to decay and die. So she's stuck in that prison of a town which once again is sad because as Daisy, she wanted to see Paris. And so Bellbaum thought that by taking Daisy's body and taking Gladys' soul and living, she could go out and do whatever she wanted, but she can't. She's never been to Paris. She's never been outside of New Haven, Connecticut. And so in her eyes, quote unquote, this town is a piece of shit. Whereas with Darlington and Sandow, this town, quote unquote, is a magical place. And in Turner's eyes, quote unquote, this town is changing. So everybody has a different view of the same town, which I thought was pretty well done. I like that a lot. Okay. Bellbaum kills Sandow. And as I said before, the little death poetry does not work on her. And then we find out the reason why Daisy isn't behind the veil is because she has no soul. It doesn't explain why Tara isn't behind the veil. I don't think we know why. I may have missed it. It wouldn't be the first time. I also noticed that Bellbaum kept calling Alex Alexandra. That's not her name. It took me like several times for her to be like, for her to say it for me to be like, wait a minute. Is that her name Galaxy? That's not her name. And I love that Alex did not correct her. Um, Bellbaum was eating souls of other dead girls and she she unintentionally, not unintentionally, she did intend to do it, but she ate a girl who was a gray. He ate her soul. 
that sounded gross. She ate a girl, a girl soul that was a that was a gray, or who could see grays, and it made her stronger and last longer. And these girls were the ones who created the Nexus. Tara didn't create a Nexus because she's not a wheel walker. So now she wants to eat Alex's soul because Alex is a wheel walker. And she starts to eat her soul and she sees, um, Alex starts to see all of these memories, these happy, wonderful memories she's had. For this entire book, we have been seeing Alex and all the tragedy that she's had to endure. And this is the first time we're seeing like happiness. And I, I liked that <laughs> again. And also in her memories, she sees the Nine of Swords. And of course, I had to look up what the tarot card of a Nine of Swords, sorry, Nine of Wands mean. And it means time to reflect within and gather one's strength. Don't allow small problems in life to overburden you, but at the same time, reach out to others where a helping hand is needed. So we already know that she had a Nine of Swords tattooed on her. And if you looked that up at that first time it mentioned it you could see a foreshadow and so the foreshadow is that Alex starts to have a moment of clarity as her soul is being eaten and she realizes that she could get help from other people and use their strength and their knowledge to take over to overtake Bellbomb much like when Daisy was seeing Gray she would take their strength and their knowledge Alex is doing the same thing and she does it particularly by saying their names because as this book has said previously names have power so she calls out all the names and it kills Bellbomb and she turns into dust in the final chapter we're at Sandow's funeral and um we learn that well Alex doesn't think that Darlington is dead she thinks that he's a demon, and the only way to create a demon is to murder someone. So does that mean that Darlington murdered somebody? guess we'll find out in the next book, because they didn't say here. And it basically ends with Alex Dawes and Michelle, which was the old Virgil, going to find Darlington. So um, that's the end, of the end of the book. You can probably guess, if you've been listening to the podcast, that I really enjoyed this book a lot. And I have mentioned this in previous podcasts that I look for four major things when I read a book and it determines if I like a book or not. And I'm going to go through those things and relate back to the text. So the first thing I look for is characters, and that includes the protagonist, the antagonist, and the supporting cast. And Alex, obviously, is the protagonist. And I like her because she had a very interesting and complete character arc. Alex is an archetype, but because her story includes her seeing ghosts, that makes her different. It makes her voice a little bit more special than the trope that we've read before. Alex has done many things in this book. She has had to survive horrible tragedies, but she works very hard surviving and growing and becoming the person that she has and along the way we've seen her struggle and we've seen her try to fight her way out and get knocked down we hear her conscience we see how she thinks of herself and how she works through everything from the time she was in the mirror after having to perform a sex act and she's like is there another 15 year old girl 
who looks like me and who is me in a different universe, who has a better life. We saw her and Helly sitting on college campuses and looking at college catalogs and dreaming of being a student. And we see her at Yale and she's pretending to be this Yale girl by getting rid of her tattoos and wearing the sweater. And we see her transform to accepting who she is and stop pretending and putting her tattoos back and being okay who she is and learning how to take control back and stop letting the grays take control of her. So she has had a complete character arc and I thought that she was believable and an interesting person. We have two villains, Bellbaum and Sandow, and I like villains to be sympathetic, which they both were. Bellbaum... Her life was cut short. She was very angry with that, and she didn't get to see the world. And so she tried to take it. Is that okay? No. But it makes her, it makes you understand why she did the things that she did. When a character, when a villain just does things for the sake of it, and we don't know why, it doesn't make any sense. It has to, we have to know what motivates them to be to do the things they do and what has happened to them to make them do the things that they do. That makes a better villain in my eyes, it does. And the same thing with Sandow. He was a gentleman. He was the Knight of Leith. He was Darlington. And at some point in his life, he stopped being that and his life began to go downhill. Darlington is on that path, especially if he murdered somebody. But Sandow's vice was power. He wanted power and he was going to do whatever he could to have power and money. And that was his demise. But we know his backstory because his backstory mirrors Darlington. He is Darlington. And so that is his, that's how we sympathize with him. Because we like Darlington, ergo we liked, we would have liked Sandow when he was a student. And then Dawes is probably the best supporting actor character in the book because she aids in the growth of Alex, the world. I like a, a really good world. And uh, Mardugo has managed to create a fictional world and a real world. New Haven, Connecticut and Yale University are real places. And it is based on real places. However, she's created this magical system. And I liked it a lot. I also liked the reference to this town and what that means and how it contributed to the story. I have a feeling that when Bardugo was at Yale, that that town had a big effect on her, whether a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but it had to have had some effect on her to make that a central theme in the book. I like a lot of themes. That's the third thing I look for. And this book was chock full of themes. And what's great about it is that each person who reads the book might get something different out of it. Not everybody's going to get the same theme. I got feminism and survival and I can't think right now, but <laughs> um, a lot, just a lot of themes that came out of the book. And I like it when you can get several different things out of the same book. The last thing I look for is writing style. Lee Bardugo does not do flowery language. Her writing style is totally different than Steve Otter, which is another favorite author of mine. Steve Otter will go on and on and on about a freaking tree. Bardugo doesn't do that. Her story is a very matter of fact, meaning everything in the book has a purpose. And she doesn't need to go on and on about it, but you know that if she's mentioning a freaking street, 
then Dawn, you should have paid attention to the street. And I did it. <laughs> um, her writing is very metaphorical and symbolic. She has a snake on the cover of her book. There are snakes on Alex's body, but at no time does she say, this is what a snake means. She makes you figure it out on your own. And if you do that, then you probably enjoyed the book more. If you didn't, maybe you didn't get as much out of it as you could. That's not a criticism on you guys as the reader. I'm just saying that Bardugo's writing style leaves it up to the reader to get more out of the text than what is on the page. And I like that. Even if it means I have to stop and for 20 minutes do research on the word silence and snakes and wheels, then I'm going to do it because it helps me enjoy the book more. I really like Bardugo's writing style. I think she's a great writer. She, great, she creates wonderful worlds and great characters that you can connect with. And I've been a fan of her writing forever. So that are, that is the reason why I enjoyed the book a lot. Ultimately, I'm going to give this book a 4.75. I can't quite give it a 5 because I'm, I'm a little weird in that in order for a book to get a to get a perfect five, I have to have some sort of emotional connection to it, which usually just means sobbing uncontrollably. And although I shed some tears during Helly's death, I wasn't like sobbing. That doesn't mean that every book I read that makes me cry, I give a five. I did not give a five to Patron Saints of Nothing, and I was sobbing hard at the end of that book. But I just didn't quite have an emotional connection to this book. As I did like Six of Crows. So I couldn't quite give it a five. But nonetheless, it was one of my favorites of the year. I did do my top ten favorites of the year. This book has made the list. But you're going to have to listen to that countdown to find out where it lands. Um, so this concludes the Read Along with the Universe Ninth House Edition. I am not sure if I am going to continue to do it anymore. I like podcasting with another person. I think it's just a little bit more enjoyable. But if I do decide to continue, it'll be because people are listening. And I want to create content for those of you who do listen. So if I decide to continue with Read Along with the Universe or Novel Universe, I will catch you in that podcast. <laughs>